Hello and welcome to Scarves Around the Funnel, the podcast dedicated to Heart of Midlothian Scottish Cup quarter-finalists for the second time in seven years. It's maybe not a massive badge of honour, but we're there. And uh, we'll be speaking about that this week with me, Laurie Dunsire. I do remember my name this week. Joined by a man who never forgets his name, Mark Donaldson. Good morning to you, Laurie, from Connecticut, just after 10 a.m. on Wednesday morning. How are you? I'm good. Uh, 3pm in Musselburgh, so yeah, bit of a difference, but doesn't matter what time zone you're in, it's always it's always all about the jambos, isn't it? It is another win to talk about this week, although expected, mm-hmm. um, but we got a, a few positives. A first ever senior goal for Aidan Keenan, and then a hat-trick in a, a reserve game. And then Craig Levine says, yeah, all right, son, you're not going to be playing every week. Just just hold your horses. So feet on the ground for him. Um, I was chuffed as hell with a cup draw. And it, I don't want to kind of get into this, well, it's only parting, because you know what we're like against teams that we're expected to be. But it wasn't as much just about the draw. It was about the other fixtures as well. We're guaranteed a championship side in the semis. Aberdeen or Kelly or Rangers, two of those three are going to get knocked out. And either Hibs or Celtic is, is going to go as well. So I think that was a perfect draw for Hearts. Okay, so as always, Mark has covered yep. a first few items And that's, that's it for this week's so... Around the Funnel. Thank you so much. We'll see you again next week. So this week we will talk about the Hearts. <laughs> you love like... it when I do that, don't you? You absolutely love that. You curse me. <laughs> yes, I have to edit that part out. Uh, the sweary words. Uh, we will talk about Hearts Auchinleck this week. We will talk about the Scottish Cup quarterfinal draw. We're going to talk uh, Hearts penalties and some of your favourite Hearts penalties down the years. We might have a chance to speak about some of your Hearts bets, but knowing um, Mark and I <laughs> uh, probably won't have time for that. And then we'll look ahead to the Motherwell game this coming weekend. So before we get into that, uh, let's have a quick listen back to how Hearts managed to progress through the William Hill Scottish Cup fifth round. Free kick on the left, which Hearts again do the fake routine. Lee curls it in. Ben attacks and heads it towards goal. And Hearts are in front. And it's oh so simple in the end for the skipper. Lee 25 yards out to the left and Mitchell turns away from his man. Edge of the box still going. Mitchell right foot shot deflected through and into the bottom left corner of the net. And Dimitri Mitchell doesn't celebrate too much because it's a very fortuitous goal in the end. It's his second for Hearts. It's his second in the Scottish Cup as well. Hearts take the corner short. Mitchell, the goal scorer of the second goal. Driven right. If it is the box and it's touched in. And I think that is Stephen McLean who makes it three. I'm not sure if it was the former St. Johnson striker or a defender who got the final touch. But Dimitri Mitchell from goal scorer to provider this time took on his man, right foot cross into the area and has touched over the line from maybe no more than a yard out. They are congratulating Stephen McLean. June feeds it to the left to Dimitri Mitchell. A bit of space in front of the left back. Deflected, comes to Kina. 15 yards out onto his right boot, looking for space. Still going, Kina stabs it towards goal! Great finish by the Irishman off the bench. And he gets his first senior goal for the Jambos. Great persistence. Took the ball down, worked his way between a couple of challenges and stabs it towards goal to get off the mark for the Jambos. Super play by the 19-year-old in his fourth appearance for the Jambos. He has his first goal and finally maybe a little bit of gloss on the scoreline for those of a maroon persuasion. Four minutes left and it's four goals to Hearts. So that was the Hearts TV coverage of Heart of Midlothian for Auchinleck Talbot nil from the Sunday 3pm match at Tynecastle in the William Hill Scottish Cup fifth round. So, Mark, first of all, looking at the Hearts team, um, we expected Craig Levine to change it up a little bit, and indeed he did, and probably no surprises that he went with 4-4-2 to give Hearts a bit more attacking impetus against, of course, a junior side, so... Connor Shocknessy, Oli Bozanich and Jake Mulraney all dropped out of the Hearts side who were held 0-0 by Livingston. In came Dimitri Mitchell, Stephen McLean and Uche Piezu. So probably no surprise there in terms of the personnel that Craig Levine set out for this game. McLean was an interesting one. I know he scored. Um, yeah, I mean, 
it's interesting to see why he went with that. Obviously, feels that someone in and around Uche was was better for the big man. Um, we didn't really have natural width. We had players playing in kind of positions. And Naismith kind of drifted. Clare kind of drifted as well. But there wasn't really natural width on on either side, which I feel when you've got someone like Uche who thrives on service, he could do with. Um, so the, the other thing was Ollie Lee. Um, I, I just feel right now that Ollie Lee is taking five, six, seven touches when two, three, four will do. I just feel it's slowing things down. I think that's something I hope we've worked on in training this week ahead of the Motherwell game. But I just felt as far as the team selection was concerned, I mean, it's fine. You've got to give players a chance who who don't play regularly. Um, but you can't play too many of them because you don't want to disrupt it. But as far as performance is, is concerned, I think there were plenty to work on. It was by no means perfect. And, and one of the things was was Ollie Lee in particular just slowing it down a bit too much for me. I guess it's something he's been guilty of a fair bit recently. And I agree with you in terms of overall from Hearts. It was very low tempo. It was it was almost like a friendly game, I think, because Talbot were happy to sit with men behind the ball and defend, and Hearts didn't seem overly um, have any over urgency to try and get the ball moving quickly because of the quality of the opposition. With all due respect to Talbot, we obviously got the goals because we had much better quality players. But I think against a better side, it was very similar to how we'd played against the likes of Livingston. I think. There wasn't enough incisiveness. There wasn't enough tempo. It's just that we were playing far inferior opposition this time. That's the key, Laurie. That's the key because you get away with that against Stock and Leg. But would you get away with that against Motherwell this weekend? I'm not so sure. Probably not. And I think one of our problems, and we, we spoke about it last time out, certainly I did, um, is at Tynecastle. And I think at the moment, the, the way our play seems to be panning out, at Tynecastle it doesn't always suit us, it's a tight pitch, we don't have that natural width and we're not playing with much tempo and it can be very easy for a team who wants to come and defend against us to, yes. ju- to do just that, whereas away from home, we've seen us quite recently play very well away from home, I mean, against Kilmarnock I thought it was a terrific performance, albeit you know we were defending for a lot of the game but we had the pace and we had more space on the park to attack at will against a side who weren't just going to sit with everyone behind the ball so maybe Motherwell this coming weekend will suit us a bit better and we will talk about Motherwell towards the end of the show um in terms of this game we'll go through a quick quick couple of things I mean the free kick routine now (laughs) I don't know what you think of this now obviously the first goal came from the now um expected pretend that we've messed up the free kick and Mitchell goes to it, Lee goes to it, oh wait, no, you were going to hit it, I was going to hit it, and then the ball gets crossed in. Now we scored from it. However, is there any difference to just one player running over the ball, that gets the defence moving, and then the cross coming in? I just, I don't know why we're still doing the, oh no, but you you were meant to hit it, no, it was me, No, we'll have a little argument, and then everyone will be hugely surprised when we cross the ball in. Am I just being? Am I just being cynical? It just seems like no, no. If it if it works, fine. If it doesn't, then the questions are asked. Now over here in the NFL, playbooks have thousands and thousands of yeah. plays. Uh-huh. I wonder how many Austin McPhee's in charge of set pieces. Craig Levine has said that, and that's why he was pleased when it came off against Kilmarnock. But I wonder how how many um, options are in Austin McPhee's free kick playbook? Because right now, two. I'm not sure if it's any more than two or three. <laughs> I think we need to uh, enhance our options from free kick and work on, on something a little bit different. I mean, I, I I like the free kick routine where obviously it, we scored against Kamarnik with the overlapping run. Sometimes that's better when if you don't have someone who is fantastic at free kicks, you don't have, you know, when we had Paul Hartley, it was always worth having a shot from the free kick. I mean, he was obviously very good at them. But still, even at our level... <sighs> Shooting from free kicks, you don't you don't see free kicks scored consistently. So often it is good to think outside the box a little bit. But it's just, I just I don't see the point in the routine because we all know when they pretend to mess it up that they haven't messed it up. Um, and I I think I understand getting the defence moving so it can be harder to defend a free kick if 
everyone thinks it's going to be hit at one point, so the defence start tracking players, and then it's not hit, and then they stop, and you can make maybe a little run peeling off the back or to the near post or whatever. But to me, if you just run over the ball, one player goes to hit it, leaves it, and the next player hits it, it just seems as good to me. But yeah, it's just become a little comical to me that we keep hmm. pretending like we've messed up the free kick when everyone knows that we haven't. But anyway, it worked, and Berra scored, so, you know, great. Yeah, and it, it was fine. And for goals two and three... I think we've we've actually gone a while without scoring rubbish goals. <laughs> I'm not I'm not saying we scored brilliant goals, but it's maybe I mean, harsh on the third goal. But yeah, the, the second goal was rubbish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, how that got through, I, I don't know if the goalkeeper was on side. Yeah, maybe, maybe it was a bit harsh on on McLean's goal, but certainly the, the the second one, I could do with one of them at Far Park this weekend or uh, against Partick in the next round. I hope we've not kind of used up all our our luck. I was delighted for Aidan Keener. Uh, to to get the fourth, um, and 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 McLean, he scored. He didn't do that much else in the game. Who who got the third? I mean, eleven games without a goal for McLean since Dens Park in October. So I mean, big for him just to just to see his name back on the score sheet. I, I mean, albeit it's from two yards out and it's against junior opposition, but sometimes that's what you need. You just need to get the ball in the back of the net. Um, and he is going to be a bit part player with Uche back in. I don't think he will be in any, any doubt about that. And when Vanacek is um, <laughs> fully fit. <laughs> 2024, by the looks of things. <laughs> but I agree, it was it was terrific to see Aaron Kina. And um, a quick bit on him, because he took the goal really well, actually, because he had a lot to do when he picked it up. He was about 15 yeah. yards out. We had two or three defenders in front of him. And he just, he did that typical goal poachers thing where it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily the most skillful bit of play, but he just kind of muscled his way through, wriggled between defenders and then stabbed it in. And um, and then followed it up the following day with a hat-trick in the reserve game against Greenick Morton. Now, there's a lot of talk about him now. There's an Evening News article on him as well this week. And he, is he the most natural goal scorer hearts have developed since Robertson and all these ridiculous comparisons at this point? Especially since, I mean, we signed him at 17, so it's, it's maybe a bit of a stretch to say we've we've created this player. However, he seems to have a little bit of confidence. And Dundee, um, Dunfermline fans were certainly very complimentary of him, as were the Queen's Park fans when he was on loan there. Still a teenager. This could be an exciting guy coming through. Yeah. I didn't know too much about him when we got him from St. Pat's. and He'd come through... Not their full system because he was a bit of a, a late developer before he moved to to Shelbourne, but there was something about that goal that I just and I know what, I don't know if it was it Barry that wrote the article about Aiden or was it uh, Tony Brown or I think it was Barry I think yeah so, so I mean I mean Barry's as as well clued up as as anybody about Hearts he's he's in and around the club every day and Barry wouldn't do anything to to um, affect a player going forward. I mean, that would have been done in conjunction with the club. Barry would have put the request in and the, the, the club would have either okayed it or, or denied it. So they, 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 they know Barry, they trust Barry and, and Barry's not someone that's going to kind of say it's the next coming of John Robertson. But that, that goal reminded me of Robbo and I kind of never give up. Um, small, kind of low centre of gravity. He's not the tallest and he just he's like a little mole in the box <laughs> because he just burrows his way through. And as long as he's not Jamie. <laughs> no, Jesus. Oh, not Jesus, mole, but oh, that's what we said. <laughs> Someone once said to me, <laughs> I didn't realise his first name was Jamie. I thought it was Jesus because everyone used to say, Jesus, mole. <laughs> um, that's an old one. Goodness. But he, he, he took the goal, and that's the other thing. Robbo was a, a great one for taking it nice and early, not allowing the goalkeeper to get set. And when he burrowed his way through Aidan Keener, the goalkeeper had no chance. It was like it was behind them before he even, mm, he even had yeah. a chance. And Robbo was like that as well. That's just instinctive. You can teach some things, but you can't teach instinct. You can help it along. And I'm not saying Aidan Keener's the next Robbo. We don't know yet. I mean, you you no, can't tell at this point. Yeah, <laughs> Laurie, how many of the how many of these guys have we had? Remember, we we spoke many weeks ago. Yeah. Ryan Davidson, Callum Elliott, Jamie Mole, loads of them. They come and a lot of them go, and you never really hear from them again. And then they they stack shelves in supermarkets or go to Australia or whatever they do. 
Um, we can only go with what we've seen. And that's what that's what a lot of the media do. And I, I obviously part of that you are as well. And I suppose we have to take part of the blame for building someone up that maybe doesn't deserve to be built up to the extent we build them up and then bring them crashing down to earth because they don't live up to the full expectations that have been put upon them. But first sighting, impressed, like them. And I think Craig's been smart and as if to say to him, okay, well done, goal against Ockenleck, hat-trick against Morton, but you'll not play every week. You were only in the, the squad because we needed two strikers on the bench. So keep it going. And if you get your opportunities, take them and then you'll play more. That's smart management. One last thing on the on the cup game. Quickly on, on Auchinleck Talbot, who they were organised, they worked hard, they had some flashes. They never really looked like they were going to threaten in the match, but it was always going to be a long shot for them. It wasn't quite the dramatic end that, that we had in 2012 when they were at Tynecastle. But as a club and as a support now, I know there's stories coming about some of the Auchinleck fans in the almost 2000 that were causing a bit of bother and such like, but you're going to get that from from any set of supporters, especially on such a big day out. But I, I really enjoy having something a bit different in the cup. And I have to say, I thought it was terrific. Almost 2,000 of them there, at least 1,800 in the Roseburn end. They made a good noise. They got behind their side. Um, and I have to say, I, I think it's really refreshing the last few years when we've had junior sides in there because my, the worst thing I've about the Scottish Cup in recent years for me, for Hearts, is just the repetitive, constant, top flight teams you play and it just yep. gets a bit monotonous and you know the, the Livingston game you had what 11,000 or something there and there was not much atmosphere for a cup game but this game there was a proper cup atmosphere and part of that was because it wasn't because the game was end to end and it was terrific and it was really close it was because of the the fact it was Auchinleck and for them this was a massive cup final this was this was a Champions League final for them and I thought you know the, the supporters made it a big occasion and I really liked that and to have 15,000 there I think was a credit to both sets of fans. And I think it's a really good payday then for Auchinleck as well. It is. And I think Hearts need to take a fair bit of credit for this as well, because I understand, and I don't know for sure, I'm sure you'll be able to tell me, season ticket holders could sit in their own seats. All the stands were open. So it was different from the Livy game. Lessons were learned. And that's why you got maybe more than 4,000 of an increase. And I, I know Auchinleck brought more than, than Livy did as well. But the bottom line is there were more Hearts fans because Hearts made it easier for their own fans to get their own seats. Is that is that true? I believe so. Uh, I know they had the option to. I, I don't know yeah. the, I don't know the it was, it, full it details. Was just, but, yeah, it, 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 it was just better managed. They learned lessons. We all make mistakes. I'm not saying mistakes were made for the Levy game, but it wasn't ideal for everyone. Whereas in this instance, my mum and dad were able to sit in their own seats um, because in the Levy game, they didn't open all the stands. And then I think it was only late on that they opened up the the first couple of sections, I think A, B, and maybe C of, of the wheat field. So, yeah, Hearts learned their lesson from that. Auchinleck brought more. Good day out all, all round. And you're right, something different is far better in the Scottish Cup, given what Hearts have been drawn against or who Hearts have been drawn against in recent years. And that's why I think that the Partick game a little bit different as well, because we've not been to Firhill this season. And there's someone put on Twitter immediately following the draw, um, Asterix checks Hearts loyalty points. That will not be an easy ticket to get away from home for the Scottish Cup if you don't have many loyalty points, I would suggest. So moving on to the cup draw perfectly. It's a, a well-worked uh, move between Mark Seamless. and myself there. Seamless. Um, so the cup draw was made immediately after the very entertaining Highland Derby on Monday evening. And, you know, when you see the, the teams in the hat, um, you know, the big hitters are all there. So I, I was quite nervous and excited watching the draw. Did you get a chance to watch the draw? I know it's not a great... Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I had to buy a new VPN to get it, but that's another story. <laughs> so obviously Aberdeen came out against Kamarnica Rangers. Oh, not bad. Two of the, the best potential teams in the hat, regardless of who is out of Kamarnica Rangers, are drawn. Dundee United come up, I'm thinking, I'll take that. If we can, if we come out the hat next, because it was, as as much as Robbie Nielsen's a good manager, as much as Dundee United are still got a good chance of going up, they're one of the weaker sides potentially in the draw. But then they obviously got Ross County or Inverness, and so I'm like, okay, it's uh, Hibs and, and Celtic and Hearts are still there. And, and, yeah, <laughs> and, and then, then there were four, and you're thinking, oh god, 
and the if, luck that we've had in recent draws, we ain't getting Partick. And Thistle came out, obviously, Partick Thistle were the next team, and we're like, okay, the next number out of the hat is going to decide whether we've got possibly the best draw we could have, again, with all due respect <laughs> to Partick Thistle. That's yep. not saying we're going to definitely win, but you want the best draw you can get. Or it's going to be Celtic or Hibs, who always, who are usually the team these these years who put us out, apart from last year, obviously, against Motherwell. And so when number four, Hart and Melody came out, I actually let out a little cheer watching it. I was so <laughs> pleased because I. I expected Easter Road or Celtic Park, especially at that point when there was, what, only only a one in three chance that we were going to get Park Thistle by that point. So I was delighted with that. And obviously Hibs then got Celtic at Easter Road. So you said earlier... Rangers and Celtic, you know, again, assuming Rangers go through, they're going to be the favourites still at this point. Um, and if Rangers do get through, they've got one of the toughest games they could have had at Pataudry. And if Celtic get through, they play a hipside Easter Road who they've really struggled against in Edinburgh in recent years. So certainly... Brent, some... Brent, Brendan Rodgers has never won at Easter Road, by yeah, the way. Yeah, I think they've not won there in four or five years or something, I think someone mentioned. And and I like an away day, especially in the Cup. So an away day at Park, this all. Why not? We've we've not been getting to go to Fur Hill this season because they're in the championship. And they're bottom of the championship. And again, I, you, you take nothing for granted, of course. There's there's no gimmies. And I'm sure it's not going to be an easy um, route to the semi-finals. It really is an easy route. But they're bottom of the championship. Gary Cobble took over in October after Alan Archibald was sacked. He's put in a bit of form recently. They've They've been on a decent run, but they are still bottom. Remember the last time we played Partick Thistle in the quarterfinals? So the last time that Hearts played Partick in the quarterfinals, because remember we were speaking about the was it the Mo Johnson game? That wasn't a cup game, or was it? And yeah, it was. You, you should remember the last time we played Partick Thistle in the quarterfinals because we went on and won the cup, but it was two thousand and six, and I'm pretty sure you would have been covering it yeah. at that point. You would have been right. Maybe you're too busy writing your book at that point and forgot about what was happening. In the <laughs> cup. But uh, it's, I, oh. <laughs> Yeah, so it was. So it was. And we were, we were. They ran us pretty close, and they were in the third tier at that point. And um, Benner right. got sent off for a dive. I think it was a second bookend. And um, it was a game. The main thing I remember that game was Chisnowski scored an absolute worldly, terrific goal. I mean, he re- Bro, I remember that goal. Really yeah. scored a bad goal. To be fair, Chisnowski scored. Clum played. Clum played. Didn't score. But I, one thing I want. This is just. Slightly, or it's on topic, but it, not necessarily that relevant. But that 2006 quarterfinal lineup, Hearts were favourite in the quarterfinals, and I forgot just how. And again, I don't want to sound offensive to some of the teams in this draw, but it was a ridiculous quarterfinal lineup. So you had Falkirk, Hibs, both top flight teams um, at that point. Falkirk were the top flight. You had third tier Gretna against second tier St Mirren. You had second tier Hamilton against second tier Dundee. And you had Hearts against third tier Partick Thistle. And that wow. was that was the quarter final lineup. So you had three top flight teams out of the eight, and those three were Falkirk, Hibs, and Hearts. And you had two third tier teams. You had Gretna from the second division, who obviously went all the way to the final, and you had Partick Thistle who who lost us in the quarter final. And I was like, I forgot just how yeah. how odd a, a lineup, because obviously Hibs had put Rangers out and Celtic had been put out by Clyde, I think, early in the competition. Yeah, I was, I was going to say that. I was at that game. I was covering that game for Sky or whoever. Uh, <laughs> so no, it couldn't have been, no, it couldn't have been Sky because it was their live game. It doesn't matter. Who cares? Uh, <laughs> Dewey played. Yeah. Roy Keane played. Was, this, was that yeah. Roy Keane's debut? Yeah, I was think it, it was. I think uh, did Dewey not play twice in that game? His first and his last. Dewey care? Um, <laughs> oh, do we did he? Um, <laughs> yeah, that I'd totally forgotten about the quarterfinal line. That is incredible because Hibs have gone to Ibrox and beat Rangers three zip. Clyde had obviously um, beaten Celtic, so they were out and then got horsed in a replay at Gretna. Gretna St Mirren, Kenny Duker were the winner. Hamilton Dundee went to a replay and then um, Dundee won it in extra time with Stephen Craig. Hearts were two up against Partick, but Bednar came on as a sub and then got sent off, as you say. And Hibs went nuts. Hibs had a good side. Yeah, they won um, 5-1, didn't they, at Falkirk? <laughs> they <laughs> did win 5-1 at Falkirk. And then the draw for the semi-finals. Mm. Um, I mean, Gretna were on their way up 
um, through the leagues at that stage. And it wasn't really a big shock that they beat Dundee. But even when the draw was made, you you kind of thought to yourself, like, either Gretna or Dundee. A lot of Hearts fans maybe would have wanted Hibs because although Hibs had a reasonable side with O'Connor and Riordan and whatever, Hearts were, Hearts were a right top side. Um, oh, we, owned then, them. we owned them at that point yeah, as well. Yeah, I mean. and you, you kind of knew. Once the semi-final draw was made, you, you, well, I'll say you kind of knew, given our history with Dundee, um, you kind of knew that that was the final for Hearts and that they should win the final if they get through, which obviously they made an arse of it. And it's a lot did closer. It <laughs> Jesus. Um, yeah, God, you forget about it. Because the, the more competitions that take place, right? What is this now? 2018, 2019, right? So, so that was 13 years ago. We've had 13 playings of the Scottish Cup since then. Now, a lot of us will remember who was in the final each year or who won it each year, if you can't remember who was in the final. But it's, it becomes a lot harder to remember semi-finalists and, yeah. and especially quarter-finalists. That's a great shout about 2006, because I'm not sure you'll ever see a quarter-final lineup like that again with so many sides not from the top end of the, 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 top, t- the top tier in Scottish football. Shiznowski's determined to get his shot away. Penalty kicks. So, last time out we spoke about penalties and asking for some of your your favourite Hearts penalties. So, we we spoke about a couple briefly when we were were on air. So, we've got some really good um, suggestions coming back. And a lot of it's for obvious ones. Um, However, there's a few from left field as well. So, I want to, to go through these. And one of the ones we didn't mention, which should be a really obvious one. Um, so Simi says, Paul Hartley penalty versus Aberdeen to take us to the Champions League qualifiers had me in tears. Um, Will Stevenson also says, big penalties. Remember 3rd of May 2006, Paul Hartley had to score from the spot against Aberdeen to ensure the, the JITs clinched Champions League qualification. I made noises after that went in that only the dogs in Gorgie could hear. <laughs> Um, Richard Cobb also Hartley's against Aberdeen to secure second and Andy Morris adds in Sir Paul Hartley versus Aberdeen secured second place got us into the Champions League qualifiers Q Takas Fisas with his Champions League la 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 song um, and of course they are referring to Paul Hartley against Aberdeen 3rd of May it was a midweek game a Wednesday night 0-0 um, going to the second half Russell Anderson with a handball and upstep Paul Hartley, who was just unbelievable from the spot for Hearts. Went to the left, Langfield went the right way, but couldn't get there, too much power. And of course, that goal was decisive. And it felt like at the time, Mark, you you would have been in the, the commentary area, I assume, for that game. I was in Section G um, celebrating. But that felt like a really important goal, like a, a game-changing goal, because that's the one that did get us into that Champions League. In the end, obviously, we... We didn't get to the groups or anything, and it was the only time we got that close. But it did feel so significant at that point. And you can recap the final stages of that fantastic night in a book called Believe, From Turmoil to Triumph at Tynecastle <laughs> um, by me and Gary Mackay, which is now available, I think, for two pence. I'm not sure it's down as far as one pence yet. Um, and kind of second hand on these eBay or whatever. But the reason you were able to do that is because I built up a friendship over the years when he was refereeing with Stuart Dougal um, through Tom Miller, who I used to work with at uh, Scott FM and various other places. And Tom introduced me to Stuart Dougal and we got on really well. Um, and I would always text Stuart or, or whatever if he'd heard me and I'd said something wrong on the radio about the interpretation of a rule. Or whatever. And it helped me kind of learn and become one of these boring bastards that, that has to know <laughs> Law 12 of what's a handball or or what's uh, excessive force or, or recklessness when it comes to a red card. So one of the first things I did um, when writing that book, when I got to that specific part, um, was to phone Stuart and to get his version of of what happened near the end, because it was Stuart that awarded the penalty, which he says was was as clear a penalty as you're going to get. He had no qualms about that. He only beat also... Russell Anderson as well, didn't he? <clears throat> yeah, he did. He didn't feel it was a red, but he also he also had a bit of fun with Paul Hartley near the end. And 
I think I'm trying to remember. It's been a while. Um, I think that's kind of how I've started the book. Um, Paul Hartley inquiring to, to Stuart Dougal, how long's left? And it's like, oh, a minute left, Paul. And then how long's left? Well, <laughs> 30 seconds, Paul, because it's 30 seconds since you last asked. Uh, how long's left? <laughs> how long's left? <laughs> Five minutes. What? <laughs> um, and he was he was joking with them because they were obviously into stoppage time by that and he wanted to add any uh, more time on. But um, the, for, for, for Stuart to be involved... Even he said that he, he's refereed all over the world, not just Europe, um, on many, many European nights. But he said that was one of the most special atmospheres, even although there was less than 20,000 inside. But that atmosphere had everything. It had tension. Yeah. It had relief. It had passion. And then at the end, it had just incredible noise. Because when Hart scored, there was, there was a hell of a lot of noise. But being a Hearts fan, there's always that, oh, what if we mess this up? Um, that's, that comes with the territory. So just an exhale of noise from 17,500 <laughs> bodies at the end. And Stuart said that's one of the best nights he's had as a referee as far as atmosphere is concerned. And um, obviously part of the nerves, because I remember it was, and it was under the floodlights because it was midweek as well, although it was still quite light until... Like the second half but it did kind of almost feel like a european night at times and i think one of the biggest parts of the the nervousness was because obviously it was rangers who were snapping at our heels and if we hadn't won that game it wouldn't be that we'd lost second place but we would have been going to ibrox in the last day of the season having to get a result oh, that's of course it was yeah it was rangers in the last yeah <laughs> that was when we not we i was commentating on that game but all the Hearts fans went, went they bought Sunday newspapers <laughs> and just sat and read them and didn't give a toss about the game. Oh, yeah, I remember that now. And they cheered, they cheered the Rangers' goals because I think Rangers won 2-0 in the end because it didn't mean anything. And Hearts made a couple of changes, obviously, with the cup final coming. And Yeah, what, what a night. What a good one to, to bring up. Um, the other one is maybe the most obvious, you could say. Um, Kieran McLaughlin just says, Colin Cameron. Don't really need to tell you which Colin Cameron penalty he's meaning. Uh, Revel in Time says, has to be Colin Cameron at the start of the 98 final for me as it was complete bedlam. Then the elation gave way to a feeling of dread that we'd probably have to defend the lead for the remaining 89 minutes. <laughs> and that's obviously until Stefan Adam picked Amoruso's pocket. Um, Ross Marshall also says, Colin Cameron in the 98 final. After that went in, it just felt like it was going to be our day. Phil Hay says, it's Cameron 98 all night long. Uh, Billy Steedman says Sir Colin Cameron 1998 and Mark Wells actually said because there was we, we were getting a lot of responses to this he says it astounds me how little mention Mickey in 98 is getting far more important than any other penalties uh, mm. than any other hearts penalties probably ever and um, yeah. this is obviously the 98 final and it's 30 seconds in and it wasn't a penalty I don't think anyway. no not, that's the thing and the the funny thing is um where the media section is in Celtic Park, that you're normally surrounded by Celtic fans that day because Hearts had to stand on the far side. You're, I was surrounded by Rangers fans. And I was in the over the overflow um, part because we weren't commentating back then. We didn't have the rights. I was just there to do updates and, and um, to get the interviews afterwards, of which I spilt um, a glass of champagne that Jim Jeffries had in his hand and knocked, <laughs> and knocked it over his suit with his microphone. And he said, normally I'd go nuts, but I don't care. But I remember we're speaking about penalties and, and that was obviously nervous. Two things about the ending of that game. Uh, one was when the referee... Willie Young, mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> Ali McCoist went down, <laughs> and this, I say it quite literally, was a bear, um, as far as a bear hug from a Rangers fan, a, a, a Rangers teddy bear or whatever. Big man, he's getting it, he's getting it, we've got a penalty, big man. <laughs> I was like, I can't, I'm, my head's in my hands, and then he's like, oh no, big man, he's no getting it. <laughs> he's not getting it, big man. It's a freak. <laughs> neutrality, whatever. And I was like, oh, that's a shame. And then right at the end, the other thing, when the final whistle finally went, I just looked at the heavens and just kind of, there were a few tears. I'll, I'll admit that because it was a beautiful day. It was glorious sunshine. And the man sitting beside me put an arm around my shoulder and he just said, you've done it. You've done it. Well done, big man. You've done it. And he had a big smile on his face. And that was because he does have leanings towards Celtic. 
That man was Hugh Keevans. And <laughs> we've we've always got on well, Hugh, uh, Hugh and I. But um, that was a special one for him as well because um, Celtic had obviously won the league. Yep. Um, stopped Rangers doing 10 in a row. That's when they had their, their 10 with the zero crossed out yeah, on T-shirt. That's yeah. that's right. And then, then um, the Hearts stopped Rangers from... I think it was Walter Smith's last game in charge um, from mm-hmm. from winning there. It was the end of and an era for a lot of Rangers. Yeah, actually, that, that, the that's right. Well. And I remember going back, and Hearts and Celtic fans don't have the best relationship. I think that's fair to say. I remember going back. There were banners on the M8 congratulating Hearts from Celtic supporters clubs all over the east end of Glasgow oh. and Lanarkshire oh. and, and whatever. I shuddered um, a little there, I have to say. No, I know, I know, but <laughs> they just it meant... More to us, of course, but it meant a hell of a lot to them that um, that we stopped them when they were hoping to get at least something from a season where um, they were hoping to do the double and ended up with nothing. Right, enough of that. Enough of that. Let's get on. Yes, to, yes. let's get on to getting it right up, Celtic. None, none of this. So next Take up, BT. next up, Hearts rant says BT Hamden. End of story. HMFC France says Craig Beatty's against Celtic Scottish Cup semi final 2012 because the time he scored. The celebration, everything is epic. Um, Daniel McIver says it's an obvious one that people have already mentioned, but he's in 2012. I was there with my dad and brother, but couldn't watch it live. I turned around to look at the stand, saw everyone go insane, and turned around in time to see him sprint past us in that iconic run. Um, and Aaron Fraser also mentions Craig Beatty versus Celtic. And in terms of what Daniel says there, now in terms of this, we're obviously talking April 2012, Celtic semi final, almost the last kick of the ball. And it was to set up the Edinburgh Derby final. Now I was I was at that game. I was quite far back. I was behind the goal where B was obviously going to score with the rest of the Hearts fans. Now when he got the penalty, I remember it wasn't your usual. Oh, we got a penalty. We could win the match. I remember it, I was kind of feeling overwhelmed. I, I could I could barely celebrate as well when it went in. And I think it was this feeling of that penalty wasn't just to put us into the Scottish Cup final. But we knew that Hibs had beaten Aberdeen the day before. We knew That's that, right, they were on the Saturday. And we knew that if we won that game, the Sunday game, it would set up the first Edinburgh Derby final since 1896, 116 years. And it was going to set up, what, what, what felt like it was going to set up would be the game of a lifetime, the Derby to end all Derbies, etc. So I remember feeling, I did watch, I didn't turn away and not look at it, but when the ball hit the back of the net, it was this weird feeling of relief and just being completely overwhelmed by something. I didn't jump up and punch the air. I just kind of looked on in disbelief. It, it was a very weird one to take because we knew the magnitude of what was set up. And it might not have felt the same if, say, we were the Saturday and it was Aberdeen against Hibs on the Sunday. But I think it was because of the game it was setting up, as well as the fact that we were about to win a semi-final. It just made it feel... It was an odd one. It was just this overwhelming overwhelming feeling of just being overly emotional about it. It wasn't just a celebration. You know how you always have a go at me for trying to bring a little bit of perspective to this podcast and usually failing. Mm-hmm. Two of the three penalties that we've been talking about in the last five minutes shouldn't have been awarded to Hart. <laughs> That's very true. Think about it that way and then think of all the kinds, the times of injustice and whatever but but, I but I did say I did say in that semi final, Celtic's goal was offside at the equalise. So yeah, it wasn't a penalty, but that was that was an evening out. I mean, that was I'll, I'll, maybe I'll, I'll argue that one. Maybe, maybe. I, um, for for all the little things that you think, oh, we should have had that, or we should have had that. We've done a feature about penalties, and our top three, I think, um, two two of them, because obviously the 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 top threes is Craig Beatty. Colin Cameron and Paul Hartley. Now the Hartley one's a, a stick on Xander Diamond. It was with the handball um, back in in 06, in May 06. Sure? Well, he got booked for it, so <laughs> he got booked for handball according to London Hearts. And Scott, I know I've forgotten about Scott Severin sending off near the end, but that's another story. Just doing us a favour, obviously, Scott. But the other two penalties, the first one was outside the box. Um, at Celtic Park in in '98, uh, the foul on Stevie Fulton, and the one at Celtic, uh, sorry, at Hamden against Celtic was, I mean, that's if that's given against you, 
you expect it because it's Celtic at Hamden in the last minute of a semi-final. Those are not the penalties that you expect to get against the old firm in Glasgow. And I'm trying to remember who the referee was in that game. Um, was it Steve Conroy? Um, I'm not sure. Um, no, you, you, it was you. Sorry, you and Norris was the referee in in, in that game uh, that we got a penalty. So you, you take it. Things, things can even even themselves out. And do I remember? Because obviously I get a lot of the the tweets for around the funnel as well. If I'm copied in on them, did someone not say? Speaking of penalties, in the final, the penalty which we got, um, that wasn't a penalty either because that was, was outside, outside the box. Outside Craig, the box. Yeah. Craig Thompson. So we're three for four of penalties we shouldn't have. So who gives a damn, of course? But isn't that funny? That add, add the penalty in the cup final against Hibs um, because it was, was it Kujabi that fouled yeah, it was it was a and, second yellow and he, it was a red card, which was the right call. But yeah, the foul was outside the box. And 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 the, yeah, and and I can go off slightly on tangent just to to clarify a thing that's um, been in the uh, in the headlines recently. Somebody decided they'd be smart and use Photoshop to change one of the laws, and now all the Rangers fans are saying any foul that starts outside the box and continues inside should be a penalty, which is nonsense. For example, that Suso being fouled by Paku Jabi, unless it's a jersey tug or a hold, that's the only thing that can start outside the box and continue inside the box to become a penalty. Everything else, handball, tackle, whatever, is where the initial contact is. And that foul by Kujabi on Suso was, was outside the box. So we're doing well here. Can we, can we think of any other penalties that people have been in touch with us that they've enjoyed that weren't actually penalties or we shouldn't have. <laughs> I've, got, I've got a few more penalties, but the BBC report on that game in 2006 does say that Scatchell's corner from the right appeared to be flicked on pass, flailing goalkeeper Jamie Langfield by Bednar, leaving Anderson little option but to punch the ball clear. Referee Stuart Dougal decided to only show a yellow card as he thought the ball was not heading for the net. But then it does say booked Diamond and Mackey, so yeah. make of that what you will. But I do remember it as I had in my head it was Russell Anderson, but well, anyway. London Hearts is my Bible, and I'll, I'll stick with them because they very, very rarely get it wrong. Oh, well, maybe it's just the, the stats somewhere. But anyway, we, we have got some more penalties, so we'll fire yes. on. Um, Jamie Devlin, May 10th, 1997. The penalty from Wee Robbo in Robo. front of the Roseburn stand that broke the Hearts' goal-scoring record. We went on to beat Rangers 3-1 as well. Um, Cy, uh, Super Cy, also says the first one he remembers watching from the main stand was as Robbo scored against Rangers, the game he broke the club's goal-scoring record. Um, Ian Cleary says Robbo against Rangers to break the record as well and of course that is the 3-1 game against Rangers where Robbo broke Jimmy Warthaw's league goal scoring record Um, 0-0 with 11 to go Cameron open to scoring Derek McInnes levelled Hearts get a penalty Robbo dispatched the penalty to break the record and then I think I remember the commentary um, along the along the lines of he's not just broken the record he's smashed it when he scores again because he scores a very on Robo-like goal to then make it 3-1. He weaves through a few defenders and scores. I have written an article about Robo for a football album that's coming out in May, a Scottish football uh, annual, I think it is, um, which comes out in May. So I was asked if I would write something for it um, about my, my hero growing up. So I've picked out, I think, three things um, of, of Robo one was when he scored a couple of goals in the first game I ever went to. Um, the last one was him not taking part, but being on the bench in the Scottish Cup final in 98. And the middle one was this one that you're talking about, the 10th of May, 1997. And I quote, this is what I've written. I always knew this was a possibility. Robbo would break Jimmy Wardhaw's league goal-scoring record for hearts, and I wouldn't be there to see my hero make history. I desperately wanted to be at Tynecastle, but I was also 20 years old and trying to make my way in the world of radio. Ironically, I was in Leith at the Scott FM studios working on their Saturday afternoon football show, Bells Dugout Live, instead of being in Gorgie. So a a match I would desperately love to, to be in. And I've actually got a copper plate. I think Evening News did a limited edition. I've got that on a wall downstairs in the, the kind of hearts 
part of the, the dungeon that I have. Um, and the irony, despite missing that, was Robbo was then a regular studio guest um, for Scott FM, including during the World Cup in, uh, in 1998. So I spent time with Robbo um, at Scott FM, but it was Scott FM that kept me from being at Town Castle when, when Robbo scored um, that penalty. Pointing to the spot, John Robertson to break the league goal-scoring record. Robertson, shot, goal! And Tank Castle goes wild! We've got some more. We've got more. Um, Feg Bissett says it's easy to go to the 2012 BT Hamill in the fourth round as well, but his mind immediately goes to Velichka in injury time at home to Celtic after Gary Caldwell fouled Ibrahim Tal. It slammed right into the corner to claim a point. Unsavable technique and execution under intense pressure. And that is 2007 um, when Scott McDonald had put Celtic ahead. But Ibrahim Tall was fouled by Gary Caldwell. I always thought it looked a bit dubious, that one. But the amount that they've had against us, you know, we're not going to complain. But a really good penalty from Velichka to save a point. Bang in the corner. Boric went the right way, but couldn't get there. And um, he was someone who knew the way to go, Velichka. Not the most talented overall player, but he certainly could find the back of the net. Feg Bissett also mentions Presley, uh, March 2002, to get Hart's first win at Easter Road in five years, which is a, a good one. It's mentioned by a few people as well. And he also mentions a penalty save, which is not what we were maybe going with here, but it's a good one to mention. He says he also loved Marion Kello's late penalty save against Hamilton at Tynecastle, protecting his clean sheet with Jim Cruikshank's shirt hanging in the back of the net behind him shortly after Cruikshank's death. That was just perfect and vaguely mm. poetic. And that yeah. was yeah November 2010 when Jim Cruikshank had died that week. There was a minute silence in his honour and uh, Marion Kello had hung up a heart shirt with his name in his net. And of course he stopped the ball going into that net with a, with a penalty save when Simon Menzing stepped up with 10 minutes to go. So that was very poetic indeed. Um, Rory... 1874 says Gomez with his Panenka in the 10-0 game. Which, yeah, don't see many hearts Panenkas, but there there was a lovely one in that game when they hammered Cowden Beef in the championship. And I like this one. This is another one a bit different. Uh, Mista Salmon, I know you like his name on Twitter, uh, who's Simon, incidentally, says, I think we all know the correct answer is Paul Hartley missing his penalty for Celtic at Tynecastle. Not on purpose, obviously. <laughs> uh, this is November 2008. Celtic, two up at Tynecastle. Zaljuk is sent off for pulling back. Scott McDonald's game's already really beyond hearts. And Paul Hartley steps up. A man who scored 16 out of 16 penalties whilst he was a hearts player. <laughs> what are you and, suggesting here? And Paul Hartley doesn't just miss, but he fires it wide. <laughs> wide of the mark. <laughs> and... Um, I like that one because I'd I'd actually completely forgotten about that until so would I until Mista Salmon um, reminded me. So that's a, that's a very good one. <laughs> My favourite missed penalty against Hearts, and I was reminded of this in uh, an Edinburgh Derby special that aired on Sky Sports in late December, uh, the final game of the year. Luke Shanley was hosting, and it was John Hughes, Mixu Patalainen, Jim Jeffries, and John Robertson. And Mixu was talking about goals he scored against Hearts, but also those that he wished he'd scored. And it was the last minute of the Edinburgh Derby Easter Road. It was nil-nil. Uh, Frank Soze, I think, was normally the penalty taker, but he persuaded. Uh, Frank had Mixu that he wanted to take it. And to, I think to quote Mixu, he said, um, I was done for being a smart arse because uh, he knew Antti Niemi very well. He was one of his best friends. And he, he, he tried a stupid little chip that, that ended up on the top of the net or, or went over the bar. And Hearts ended up with a point from that one. Mm. That was around the time that the main stand was being done up, I'm sure, because I'm sure I remember commentating yeah. from above the, whatever the hell they called that, bare pit of a place opposite the main stand. <laughs> I don't know if we had the shed, Celtic had the jungle. What was that? Was that just the east stand or something? But, oh my goodness. We, I, I'm convinced they were chucking stuff up because obviously I was making an absolute racket that um, that he'd missed. And uh, all the Hearts fans, were, 
were Hearts fans behind the goal that day? Because the I'm trying to I think. think so. I think so. I wasn't yeah. there, but I remember the reduced allocation. So there was a lot of noise, but obviously I was making more noise than anybody else in that stand, along with maybe Ian Crocker, whoever was commentating at the time. And um, the Hibs fans down below us were, were not too happy, and a few obscenities were, were chucked <laughs> up uh, in our direction. But that, that was a sweet one when Mixu missed for trying to be too smart. And on Paul Hartley, um, I wanted to mention um, Simon Ferry does these really good interviews, actually. I don't watch them all, but certainly some of them are, are quite interesting. Simon Ferry, who he's a footballer who don't know me, played at Celtic as a youngster, played for Dundee under Paul Hartley, plays at Peterhead now, but he interviews uh, certain people in, who've had time in Scottish football, and he's done one with Paul Hartley for Open Goal, it's called, and it's a really good interview. And a few people have already watched it because they've actually messaged scarves around the funnel about the interview. And I know it's on your list to watch. So if you haven't watched it, I'll share the link on the Scarves Around the Funnel Twitter page. But you can just look up Open Goal, Simon Ferry, and you'll see the Paul Hartley interview on the website. And it's, it's about an hour and a half long, but it's a, a really good watch, especially about his time at Hearts. Um, he's a really good character to listen to. And some of the stories about the Romanov era are incredible. And I thought it'd be good to maybe touch on it in a bit more detail next week. Give people a chance to have a look at it for themselves. Give you a chance, Mark. To, to have a listen to yeah. um, but just one to, to put out there so I'll share it on the on the Scarves Under the Funnel Twitter feed and we'll talk about it again in terms of Easter Road missed penalties Lewis uh, Ronaldson says Jason Cummings versus Hamilton in the playoff surely favourite <laughs> <laughs> favourite Hearts penalty and Hearts aren't even playing but um, couldn't have happened to a nicer person who he's <laughs> a Hearts fan wasn't he he was and he played at Hearts as a youngster yeah Cheesemeister uh, mentioned the Presley won it um Easter Road as well in 2002. Obviously, a, a very big one. John Rafferty mentions the same, as does Callum Lang. The 5-1 penalty is mentioned by Ross. And here's one I want to mention. Like last, last of all, this is one I didn't know anything about. I'm going to put it to you. I'm hoping you have some recollection of it. So, okay. Uh, well, this has been mentioned a few times. So We Are Scottish Football tweeted us saying, remember seeing Henry Smith taking a penalty against Dundee in a oh, cup tie Jesus, yeah. with his leggings on and ballooned it. Not my favourite, but now looking <sighs> back, it's funny as hell. No, it's not. Va- it's van- never funny. Vanilla Gorilla, I don't know what that name's all about, but um, says, Henry Smith's in the shootout at Dens Park in 95. Oh, Think it's horrific. just landed. Um, and in, in response to that, Martin Cunningham says, it was a shameful event. Our keeper volunteering to take a penalty because our striker... Alan Nipper Lawrence bottled out and also in response to that we've got Malk Jambo saying had my nephew at that game and got into trouble from my sister as he told her some new words he learned that night <laughs> and um, Kenny also says Henry Smith when he almost hit the corner flag at Dundee now this is a bit before I was going to Hearts games a couple of years before so I take it you remember this one. Oh god yeah yeah we were absolutely packed like sardines behind the goal that day and Robbo had actually scored a penalty to take us two penalties because it was it was one of these games the scoring kind of went back and forward we were 2-0 down then we got to two all McPherson and Colquhoun um there was there was like two goals in a minute I think Paul Tosh scored for for Dundee they were 3-2 up and we thought we were done Alan Lawrence, who you were speaking about, equalised a minute um, before the end of 90. So that took us to to extra thing. We were never ahead in the game. Martin Vickhorst then scored. Um, Neil McCann, by the way, played an absolute blinder for Dundee that day. He was only 21 years old. And the, the, the talk was that that persuaded uh, Jim Jeffries to, to make a move for him because he was, he was brilliant that day. Um, and then Robbo scored in the second period of, of extra time. That took us to penalties, and it's one of things you just don't expect. I mean, Henry Smith was thirty nine and a half years old, <laughs> right? So you don't you don't expect him ever to take a penalty. But the fact he's nearly forty, you're thinking, well, you've got who did Hearts have? They had uh, Willie Jemison had come on, and Scott Leach. They only had two subs. Scott Leach had come on for Gary Mackay, and Willie Jemison come on for David Winnie. So you've still got Alan, Alan Lawrence, you've got David Hagen, you've got John Robertson, you've got John Colquhoun. Um, so there's enough there. And I don't know the story about Alan Lawrence. I hadn't heard that one before that he didn't want to take it, which is, I mean, that's fine. If you, some players feel confident, some don't. And I wouldn't want someone that doesn't feel confident taking a penalty. But albeit, I wouldn't want a confident goalkeeper <laughs> taking a penalty either. And it was a shocker. 
it just it just kept going and <laughs> I've never seen it. I've never seen it. No, I don't know if any TV footage exists of that. It was a it was a it was a Wednesday night. Um, Big Les Mottram was the referee, and I don't recall it. I don't think it was on TV because it was an early round League Cup tie. So I don't think there's any reason. I don't even know who would have had TV coverage back then. But even because we were so tightly packed. None of us could even get off the ground behind the goal to even attempt to jump for Henry's penalty, which uh, was last seen rolling down the Cleppy Road <laughs> in, uh, in in Dundee. Yeah, that that was a shocker. That, that there's a picture of it. Um, oh no, that was a that was another one. I'm looking at the London Hearts website. Uh, Hearts played Dundee. The only error that London Hearts have made that I've seen the, the pictures that they've associated with that game. Are actually from a semi-final that we uh, we played them at Easter Road in a League Cup semi-final, and not the four-all game itself. So thanks to everyone for giving us your terrific uh, feedback and suggestions and stories around Hearts penalties. It was um, sparked quite a good bit of discussion, and although there's some obvious ones, it was good to relive them, and also a few from left field, which I also enjoyed. So apologies we couldn't get to all of them, but we did get quite a few suggestions in, and uh, yeah, thank you all. So finally, we've, we've dragged on, as always, um, but we will talk about the next game for Hearts, which is going to be at Fir Park this Sunday lunchtime, 12.15, kick-off in Lanarkshire, as Motherwell host Heart and Midlothian. Um, now, this is an interesting one, because Motherwell had a real slump, but they've picked up a little bit, and they've got four wins um, in a row now, or a surge at Motherwell going into this one, and Hearts have obviously picked up a bit as well, despite that disappointing draw home to Livingston. Um, it's a big weekend because Aberdeen hosts St Mirren on Saturday, Hibs at home to Ackies, Rangers at home to St Johnston. So you're you're expecting a few teams who hearts are, or see themselves in competition with, maybe not Hibs, um, look like they'll probably get victories. Kelly Celtic on Sunday will be a tough one to call. So it's an important one for hearts. Um, but Motherwell are now looking up the table rather than down. They're ahead of Hibs, they're ahead of Livy and they've got St Johnston in their sights. But Hearts go into this game with just one loss in the last six against Motherwell, and that was the Scottish Cup quarterfinal last March. Four wins and one draw in that time, but lost two of the last three at Fir Park. So, Mark Donaldson, how do you see this one going, and how are Hearts going to set up? Because I don't want to touch on injuries too much, but we've obviously got another couple in Dimitri Mitchell and Michael Smith to add to the list. Um, so, is there a dilemma for Craig Levine and how he sets up for this one? I didn't know about the Mitchell injury, I'll be honest. I knew about the Michael Smith because Craig had said he was out for probably eight weeks and he'd just play Godinho instead because he's got Jamie Brandon covering as well. So he's okay there. But was was Demi Mitchell injured at the weekend? Yes, so Dimitri Mitchell has a recurrence of the knee injury, which forced him ah, out last good. season, so it's not good. Now, there's a few things that have been said because in Craig Levine's interview, he mentions the fact that Bobby Burns... And Jake Moraney can cover on the left, but no mention of Ben Garuccio. So I know that the alarm bells have been ringing. Now, from as far as I'm aware, from having spoken to people, Craig Levine just simply forgot to mention Ben Garuccio, who did play in the reserve win against yeah, Morton at the Martin, start of the week. So from, from, from as far as I'm aware, Ben Garuccio is in the fold and certainly will be available and an option to use with Dimitri Mitchell out. But I just saw a few... Rumours flying around, and I saw a few people who tweeted scarves around the funnel actually going, what's going on with Garuccio? Is he not in the picture at all? But as far as I'm aware, he certainly is. Well, let's let's analyse that, in that if Hearts play a four at the back, I mean, the, the, loss, of, the loss of Mitchell, Mitchell only played against Doc and Lech um, because Craig changed things. Yeah. He didn't play in a couple of weeks before that. It was Jake yeah. Mulraney. So I would assume... And I've assumed wrong on many occasions before, but I would assume that Hearts will play three at the back against Motherwell. It makes sense now that Hearts have, I guess, more centre-backs available than they do players who naturally play full-back. I mean, looking back at the game, so there was the 1-0 scrappy win in September at Fir Park, which Hearts played a 4-2-3-1. There was the 4-2 Mad Cup game, also in September at Tynecastle, which they won 4-2 and they played a 4-3-3. And then there was that fairly dull 1-0 Tynecastle win in December when Hearts had been struggling, but they managed to just eke out a win. And they played three at the back in that game. They played a 3-4-2-1, although Michael Smith was the sweeper in that game. But I suppose it's a game that which 
potentially suit a similar approach to the likes of Rugby Park, albeit we don't have as defensive an option on the right to Michael Smith, but we played a Marcus Godinho in that right wing-back role at the likes of Easter Road. Yeah, and I'll be intrigued. I'd, personally, I'd, I'd, I'd played Jake Mulraney in games that we're expected to have more of the ball. Uh, I'm not sure we will. I think it'll be a lot tighter at uh, at Far Park than if we were playing them at home. So I'd be inclined, especially with the news about Michael Smith on the other side, I'd be inclined to play Garuccio um, on the left-hand side of a midfield four, five, whatever it's going to be. I'm just looking at their last game, Motherwell. They've got some really good young players and very yeah, impressed yeah. with Campbell and Turnbull especially. Uh, the kid Jake Hasty has oh, been yeah, he's, brilliant yeah. of late. So they're decent. They've got legs. They, they've got uh, energy. They've got legs. And against St Mirren last time out, St Mirren went with three at the back, but they tried to crowd the midfield with, with three central. And they were overrun. Now, that doesn't really make too much of a difference to us because we've got better players than, than St Mirren. So I wouldn't be surprised to see us adopt um, the full backs. So you'll have your three at the back. Uh, I, th- I would go with Garuccio on the left and I would go with um, Godinho on the right. So I, I, it wouldn't surprise me if, if um, Mulraney played there because I don't know if he's done anything wrong that would constitute him being replaced uh, for a game in which Hearts will be looking at picking a similar side, you would imagine, um, from from their last league victory, um, bearing in mind the, the injuries that, that, that we have. So it's it's what he does up front. I mean... And that's, the, that's the big... I was going to say, that's, sure. the, that's the interesting part because he's got the options up there. We've seen Uche come back, which it makes a huge difference. I think especially away from home to have that outlet, someone who can play with his back to goal, someone who can be on the end of, of crosses, cushion things down, obviously get headers in towards goal. But he also has Vanacek, who I, I don't think he's going to be likely to start at this point. No, I'm not starting got, him yet. I, I would be surprised if he played McLean again, to be honest. Oh, no, I don't um, I don't think McLean's going to play. I don't think Vanacek's going to play. Naismith um, off Uche, maybe? Maybe, maybe that might be the best option because Craig came out today, bearing in mind this is Wednesday and there were quotes from Craig Levine saying uh, Haring's back in full training but he won't be available for Motherwell. So he'll be available for Hearts' next game against St Mirren the following Saturday. So if, if you, I think what we saw with McLean um, against Lech is that Craig maybe feels that it's best to have someone in and around Uche, not necessarily up front with him. So that, that could mean um, Stephen Naismith playing as a, a kind of foil to Uche. Where does Sean Clare play? Does he play in that kind of right central role? Is it another 3-4-1-2 or a 3-4-2-1 um, formation? Because you've got Arno Zuman there. I'm not sure about Oli Lee. I, just, I, I think this is a game if they've got legs... I'm going to keep banging Harry Cochran's drum, but I'm going to bang it blindly because, <laughs> well, and there's a reason for that, Laurie, because I didn't see the game against Morton. Uh, so I don't know how Harry played. I don't know if he's, if his confidence is gone right now because he's not getting that much of an opportunity. And is it asking too much to someone to bring someone from outside um, and who's been out in the cold straight back into the starting 11? So as much as I'd like to see Harry Cochran get a run, I don't think he's just going to be someone that's 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 going to get a game. Callum Morrison, I mean, he, he started against Kelly and was was hauled off. Um, he then came on for for Sean Clare at half time. I, I assume that was an was that an injury related um, issue for for Sean Clare against Stock and Lech, or was that just tactical? I don't know actually, because that's one to, to check out. Maybe, hopefully not. There's no issue with Sean Clare, but. Um, maybe Craig just wanted to, to tweak things around. Hopefully there's there's no issue. Vanacek, again, he stays on the bench until he's 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 ready. Um, I'm still I'm not 100% sure about Lee and Bozanic because they've seen him play really well and they're a, they're an important part of the team when they are. But I just think right right now I'm not sure I play Lee in there. So it'll be interesting to see what he does against Motherwell, but. I, I do know that we're, we're going to have to have a, a kind of leggy team um, in there against them because they've got a lot of, of 
young talent that will be as, as fit as you like. Well, we'll see what happens. It'll be interesting to see how Craig Levine starts. Um, and let's hope that when we speak next time, we are talking about um, a big away performance and a big three points for the Jambos. But it's been another um, show with a lot of variety and some interesting hmm. points covered. Uh, thank you for joining me uh, in your late morning um, over in Connecticut, Mark. You're welcome. And thank you for having me. And fingers crossed we can be talking about a positive result at Fur Park this weekend. Yep, and thank you all for tuning in uh, once again. Um, and as I mentioned, we'll not, have, we'll not have homework as such for next week, but I'd like people, if they get the chance, to to look at Paul Hartley's interview with, with Simon Ferry, which is really interesting, and we're maybe going to talk about some of the points which he covers in that one. So I'll post a link on the uh, Scarves Around the Funnel Twitter page, and you can get in touch in the usual channels, uh, which is via Twitter, at uh, Around the Funnel, or you can email podcast at scarvesaroundthefunnel.co.uk. And until next time, come on the hearts. 